0: Hey all, Michael Saramella here, and welcome back to the STAB Podcast channel. Today you're gonna listen to something a little different from our typical weekly news segment on the drop. Every Thursday, we're gonna publish a long form interview style podcast from different surfing regions to support our new no contest series, which is produced in conjunction with Red Bull and available to watch for free on Red Bull TV. Ashton Goggins will lead these discussions with surfers and tastemakers from around the globe, including places like Fiji, Italy, Costa Rica, and beyond. For our STAB podcast regulars, do not fret, we'll still be publishing our normal episodes of The Drop every Friday to discuss weekly surf news and competition with Buck, Stace, and myself. But for now, it's over to
1: Ashton. Enjoy! My name is Mario Fernandez, I came from San Jose, and I taught Leon how to surf.
0: Um, Well, my name is Fernando, Nando, and yeah, I I taught Leon to surf. My name is Sean Glatzer, and I taught my brother everything
1: he knows. My name is Gia Mendoza. I taught him how to surf all his life because he is from side and I show him how to surf backside when he's going to rip the right ones.
2: Hello, and welcome back to the No Contest Off Tour podcast where we take you behind the scenes to the new Stab and Red Bull Media House series. I'm Tyler Brewer from the Swell Season Surf Podcast, and we are again joined here with director, show host of No Contest Off Tour, Ashton Goggins. How do we do, mate? How you going? Thanks for having me again, Tyler. It's good to be here. This is awesome. Uh, I am enjoying the series very much. I'm having a lot of fun watching these things. Oh my God, like you guys did a lot of work. It's incredible. Can you, <laughs> be, you know, like I know we have like a location we need to reveal for listeners and I am curious, but I want to know, brief, you know, what goes into these episodes before we announce our next location? What goes into it? Like how much work uh,
3: and how long does it take to produce an episode? I'd say this season started being planned about 16 months ago. Wow. Uh, Or at least sort of becoming like a, something that we were starting to put ideas on paper for. And each trip requires its own, like very special planning depending on where you're going. But yeah, it's a little bit of herding cats. It's a little bit of like, you know, reading tea leaves and forecasts and trying to like make sure that all the puzzle pieces fit together and, that surfers are able to go and uh, that it all, when it all lines up, it feels somewhat miraculous. I'm not going to lie. Um, and then it, it's a different beast. These uh, trips, because we're sort of shoehorning a surf trip into a documentary film shoot and trying to accomplish both those things at once. Um, I think it has benefits and also challenges. And I think we've definitely faced both of those differently. Um, at each location in different ways um but yeah a lot of work (laughs) it it went from being a very casual fun like breeze through the world tour to being like a six-part documentary series
2: it's it's incredible and you know and i'm still jealous you know that you get to go to all these places but i also know that it's a, a lot more work than than it you know than you make it look you know so uh Uh, kudos to you and your team for making it look somewhat effortless
3: my hope is that by the time i watch the episode that we've made it makes me want to go back to the place when i don't have to go work (laughs) so far that's kind of been the case whenever i finish, i'm like oh man i want to go back to israel when i don't have all this stuff to do
2: (laughs) so where are we going for this episode here where what is our location
3: We are headed to the same location that was uh, my very first surf trip on the planet to southern Costa Rica, to Pavones.
2: Wow. Uh, I mean, we were talking about this, like it's almost like a rite of passage for East Coast surfers, at least, to go to Costa Rica. Uh, It's something that we all like, everyone does a trip to Costa at some point uh, because of the variety of waves, uh, the ease of travel, uh, you know, relatively safe country, but exotic enough to make you feel like you're kind of traveling, you know. It, it really ticks all ticks all the boxes, basically, for a fun first surf trip.
3: Yeah, I think that Costa Rica is most, certainly Floridian's first surf trip, um, but I've come to find that it's a lot of people around the world's first surf trip. Costa Rica is one of the most visited countries in the entire world. Wow. And... I think that it has that reputation because like you said it's it feels foreign enough but it feels safe and easy and comfortable for anyone. And that's largely the environment, the food system, the country's like political landscape. They don't have a, you know they don't have a standing army. It's uh it's a, it's one of the more utopian countries in my mind. Uh, out of that whole constellation of Central American options. Um, It's always been the sort of easy choice. And then, like you said, there's just, from north to south, there's so much coastline, there's so much variety, as far as wave, uh, as far as um, conditions, as far as time of year. um, It's one of the most consistent places in the Northern Hemisphere. But, while much of Costa Rica, as you'll attest to, and I've seen over the past, say, 30 years... Um, has become really developed as far as surf town goes. You know, I would compare it to maybe Bali as far as density goes in places like Tamarindo or Hako. Um, they've become real, like, internationally known destinations, and you see that represented in the development. Pavones somehow, thankfully, <laughs> has remained like almost a time capsule. And... Going there for the first time when I was 13, I had a little bit of a sense of what made it feel dangerous then and feel a little bit like the sort of southern frontier, but seeing it over the past 20 years sort of retain that despite everywhere else on the planet that has waves as good as Pavones becoming overblown, um, It's it, I was really excited to go back and visit Pavones and talk to the locals that live there about how it's remained Pavones.
2: So I want to know, what was your surf trip like when you first went
3: there when you were 13? It was... uh, (laughs) You know, you're 13 years old. It's like your first time in the... I will say that trip was an eye-opener. The first day I got there, I remember duck diving, like my second or third wave in a Portuguese man-o-war wrapped across my face. And... Everyone there's like, you gotta pee on it. You gotta pee on it. like, you aren't peeing on my face. <laughs> uh, so I walked around like the Elephant Man with like these huge welts on my face for the whole trip. Uh, but that trip we did, we we we, you know, we most if you're going to Costa Rica, you fly into San Jose. Back then, it was a 16 hour drive to Pavones through. Roads that were so rough that we rattled our gas tank loose. Like the metal vibrated so much that it melted and fell out and all of a sudden just went boof. (laughs) Uh, You know, in those years, at the very least, all the roads have been paved up until about two hours outside of Pavones. You can go, you know, 50, 60 miles an hour. And soon you'll be able to take proper, like, regular-sized planes into Golfito. But, you know, for the time being... You can catch very small commuter flights from San Jose down to Golfito and then get a ride into Pavonis. Um But it's the most adventurous part of the country that you can go to in my mind um, and still the most difficult and remote. You're, you keep heading south about four or five miles and you end up in basically southern Costa Rican jungle up to the Panamanian border um, and all of the complicated and nefarious things that happen in those regions go on <laughs> go on <laughs> <Like that>. um <laughs> yeah so uh pavonius has always had this like mythological appeal especially growing up uh it was this land of this mile long left that this crazy californian guy had discovered and purchased and pioneered uh and going there you know most of my father's generation would ask you, like, oh, do you know the story of Danny Fowley and Pavones? And it was always, like, you know, like, spoken in hushed tones. So I, you know, the the first few times I went down there, I had a sense of the history and and what had gone into the place. And as I'd, you know, become a writer and become interested in surf journalism, it's always been one of those stories that's, like, hung over me. And I was able to go back down there about eight years ago for Surfer Magazine and interview Danny, um, who... For people that don't know the history of Danny Fowley. the episode we'll get into it a little bit more. But he was one of San Diego's first surfers. He was a leather tycoon in the late '60s. And That's a moniker, leather yeah, he, tycoon. He owned a a, a company <laughs> called Leather Gypsy that made like fringe leather jackets and purses that were sold. He 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 has all these numbers. It was like something like seventy eight hundred Nordstroms around the country. But yeah, Amazing. he he owned this company that you know. If you were to ask him, it was responsible for his fortune. Um, and in the early seventies, a mutual friend of him uh, in the early seventies, a mutual friend of his, told him about this left that he'd seen while on a mission harvesting coconuts in southern Costa Rica. Pointed him in the direction of Golfito. Danny was flying a private plane over southern Costa Rica <laughs> for reasons unbeknownst to us saw it, landed in Golfito, and then went and tried to figure out who owned the property. And eventually bought something like 16 square miles of the Costa Rican coastline there, which at the time was completely undeveloped. There was a few little sort of local farmer shacks and a little sawmill that was fairly um, uh, antiquated. And for a period of 10 years, Danny basically paved the roads and planted crops and employed all the locals and built them houses. And he was endearingly referred to as the King of Pavones. And then in 1984, he was arrested in Mexico on drug charges. And after a very long and complicated process that lasted years, he was the first American extradited on the war on drugs um, in the mid 80s. Like the famous war on drugs speech that George Bush gave was done on the front steps of his property called rancho del rio which at the time was the most valuable piece of commercial real estate in orange county wow um and yeah it's a wild story and after he was uh arrested pavones fell into sort of chaos for decades um property rights and you know deeds to land and uh you know Squatters rights and all these complicated things went into play and it caused a lot of friction between locals between people that Had moved out there to fill the vacuum that Danny had left when he was arrested and the American expats the uh, and the American expats who had been partners with Danny to sort of uh, To take on that project, Um, you know, he had a handful of guys who were instrumental to the development down there and it made it so that it was very difficult for an outside investor to come in and make a real solid uh, decision to purchase land and develop it if it had these questionable deeds and largely belonged to a convicted drug felon who was serving time in an American prison and who at any time could have been released and returned to Costa Rica, which has no extradition laws or, you know, issues around, uh, you know, if you, if you unless you commit a crime in Costa Rica— you don't have to, you know, you're not punished for it by them. Mm. Uh, and so Danny felt like the one thing that he still had in this life after being put in prison for, you know, he ended up serving 25 years. Oh my gosh. Um, he thought that rightfully Pavones belonged to him. And so for the past 20 years or so, it's been this, uh, I guess past 15 years now, he's tentatively gone back and tried to take back his land and there's been all these, you know, sort of ups and downs, but at this point, Pavonius is, I think, finally settled um, into a sense of what it will end up being like eventually. Um, it will get a little bit more developed. It'll grow, but it's going to be a very long time before it looks like the rest of Costa Rica.
2: You know, it's really interesting uh, to hear Leon Glatzer discuss Danny, uh, you know, and hear from what the, the a more locals' perspective on Danny and, and how revered he is. Uh, let's let's jump into that real quick here.
0: Yeah, so, so what I remember from the history with Danny is that this, at the beginning, was an indigenous town. You know, all the indigenous had, there was a tribe here, you know, and basically Danny Fowley was, um, you know, traveling from, Columbia to the U.S. or Panama on a plane and basically his route was always above Pavones, right? That was like his main route. So he told a story that for like years or for like a whole year, two years, he always traveled right over Pavones and he would see the waves like pumping. He said he would see these endless lines into a bay, you know, and then one day he decided to get to land in Costa Rica. and come over to Kavones and, and check it out. And I guess he completely fell in love with the place, you know, brought a bunch of books, kind of made a little school, you know, offered whatever he could to the indigenous tribe and, you know, become friends with them. And then then out of nowhere, he just bought the whole place. <laughs> you know? <laughs> pretty crazy to be yeah. here. Like- yeah, if you think about it, this is all Danny Fowley's, most of it and not only here it goes all the way like kilometers like all those mountains like that's all from part of Danny Fowley you know so so it's a a pretty crazy story and then obviously his friends started coming over with him you know and slowly it started turning into a a surf town but before that yeah it was it was kind of only him you know that was his main purpose, you know? Like, take care of the locals 100%. He always took care of, like, if you, talk, if you ask anybody about Danny, they'll be like, yeah, Danny was our hero. He was the king, you know? And he brought life to this, to this town. So, And he brought so much that nobody ever did for, for anyone, you know? But it's crazy how you fly in a plane and Back in the day, if you think about it, you're flying on a plane and you see this wave. Like Nowadays, you know exactly where that wave is, you know? But back then, nobody knew about one of the most precious waves in the whole world, and he just flew over It's like, I'm going to go check that out, you know?
2: Let's first, let's talk about the wave itself and what all
3: this fuss is over. How good is that wave? I'm a regular foot, so I am uh, I have a, a slightly skewed perspective. I mind surf that wave as a goofy foot and would consider it one of the top five performance sort of like left points on the planet. At least, the, well, I shouldn't say that. It's definitely one of the top five left points in the Northern Hemisphere. Um, and watching someone like Leon Glotzer, who was our local guide for the episode. Leon's was born in Costa Rica. His his mother's German, raised him down in Pavones, um, him and his younger brother, Sean. And he's become like an international name. He surfed in the Olympics for the German team. Um, He's been in Stab High. He's been a standout on the QS for years. And watching a gangly, light-footed, goofy foot surf the wave the way he does, uh, is pretty spectacular to watch. It's a world-class uh, canvas if you have the right
2: surfer. Well, Leon surfing is amazing. And, uh, you know, you got to speak to him uh, about being on the German Olympic team and growing up in Pavonas, which I, I thought was really nice, nice little interview. And we'll just dive, dive right into it.
0: My name is Young Glatzer, I'm 25 years old. I serve for the German Olympic team and I grew up here in Pavones Costa Rica. I mean, you know, this is obviously, you know, my home break, this is where I grew up. And, and basically when I'm away and, and I see there's a swell here, like it's one of the most painful things ever. You know, I'm just like, like if there's a swell at Chopes, if there's a swell at Pipe or Indo, you know, we're at Greenbush, whatever it is, I'm like, oh sick, there's a swell. But when I see a swell coming Pavonas and I see my friends texting me, like, are you gonna be here for the swell? I just like I don't know what it is, but it just it hurts, you know. So every swell I get here, it's just like the best feeling ever. One hundred percent. So I mean I would say that kind of started the last five years ago, you know, since like the age, maybe six, seven years ago, since the age of 18 to 25 now, because, because of the Olympics and everything and all the QSR in Europe. So we have like tons of training camps, you know, so so much to do actually that there is no time to come here for a week or two weeks or to chase a swell. And yeah, I'd say I would travel probably like 10 months out of the year. I wouldn't say like my dream wasn't to get out of here, you know, cause I love this place, but I did want to travel. I did want to definitely become a pro surfer or, or become a name in the surfing industry. You know, that was, that was my biggest dream. I remember as a little kid, I was doing the, the national contests here in Costa Rica and I had no sponsors, nothing. You know, I had like one board. And I saw Noemar McGonagall, Carlos Munoz, Beto Munoz, like all the boys with Quicksilver stickers, Volcom stickers, O'Neal, you name it. And I always asked them, I was like, how do you get sponsored? Like, how do I get sponsored? How do I get sponsored? You know, and then they're like, yeah, you just have to keep surfing. And then I was like, man, I'm gonna do some airs because nobody was really doing airs except for Carlos. So I was like, I'm just gonna stick to that and see what happens, you know, and then like, Every time I was in Pabones, I was doing airs and airs and like nonstop. I would literally go from the point almost all the way here just to find an air section. Just pumping. Just pumping, waiting for the right air section, Way and hit it, you know? But obviously that wasn't gonna take me so far in the, in the competition, right? I needed to do, get some turns or something in, so. So yeah, and then years went by and, and I got my first sponsor was. With Malcolm and then everything kind of switched from there, you know. My whole family is from, from Germany, right? And then my mom, um, she wanted to, you know, see Hawaii and kind of like spend some time in Hawaii. And she ended up living there for about four years. And then I was, yeah, I was born in Hawaii. And oh my gosh, look at this way. Sorry. <laughs> it's kind of a fun thing right now again. It's so hard to talk here and watch like the, one of the most perfect waves in the world. Look at that. Wow. I can mind surf, I can mind surf this wave like, all day. I don't need to surf, you know, like, I could just mind surf it the whole way. So yeah, my mom, um, she went to Hawaii and then I was born there. And then uh, my mom and my dad separated. My dad ended up living in California and she wanted to take a trip to costa rica like that was one of, on her bucket list to come to costa rica you know and she came here she actually went to nosada which is the northern northern part of costa rica and she was there for a week and that's actually really fast met the dad of of my brother and the dad of my brother you know they were Kind of going out and stuff, and he was like, "Hey, I really want to show you this special place, you know." And he took her all the way here to Pavones. and then she arrived, and that she was like, "That's it. This is this is where I'm staying, you know." And that's that. Mu- that was uh, 1999. Yeah, so I was two years old when I came here. Back then, it was a lot harder. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It would like. From, I would say from San Jose, from the city, maybe it would take you like 10, 11 hours, 12 hours for sure. It's only like 350 kilometers from here to San Jose, which is nothing, you know? In Europe, you do that in two hours. It's ridiculous, you know? But Germany. Well, in Germany, you do it in two hours, yeah, sorry. (laughs) Because there's no speed limit. (laughs) But, But yeah, then she decided to come here and then she just, completely fell in love with the place and she didn't even surf. Really? Yeah, she didn't even surf. Shawnee's dad, my brother's dad taught my mom how to surf. But yeah. Right here in Pavonis. She bought it like within like four months she bought a, a property near World here and that were rich. She was like, oh, that's this is where I'm staying, you know? And then my stepdad, the dad of, of my brother, he um, he lived in San Jose in the city because he was a dentist. And basically, you know, they were trying it out. She was living here, he was there. And then at some point, you know, my stepdad was like, hey, I want Sean, I want Leon to go to a a real school, you know, and study in San Jose. So like at the age of, I think, six, seven, we went back, we moved to San Jose, to the city. So I would go to school, you know, like eight, like nine, 10, around that age. I have to ask mom again. (laughs) But, yeah, and for me, that was heartbreaking because I was, you know, I was getting into surfing and I just fell in love with surfing, like, immediately, you know. I had a couple friends, like, so many locals here, they would take me on a longboard and, you know, teach me how to surf. And then I got my own little board, they would push push me onto waves, like, basically, at, at a very young age, I would just leave the house walking and then, Find one of the local boys here and say, "Take me surfing! Take me surfing! Take me surfing!" Popped me on the longboard and off we went. Yeah, like just take me, take me to surf. And and yeah, and then basically I left to we left to San Jose, and it was life changing. Kind of, you know, at a very young age, you don't really realize it, but now I knew. Like I was just like, man, like I, I I want just to surf, you know. And basically, so I went to school and we would, like every holiday we had or s- some weekends was to go surf. You know, I always told mom, I always told myself, like, I want to go surf, I want to go surf. And yeah, so I wouldn't surf much. I would just surf every once in a while, you know, and I was missing it the whole time. And then basically like at the age of 13, 12, 13, I'd say 13. My mom got just completely fed up with the city because that's the life she really didn't want. She's like, I do not want to live in the city. That's why she found Pavones and off we went. <laughs> we went. We moved to Pavones, you know, and then from that, the day we arrived, the next, the next day, I surfed like eight hours, like, you know, just like woke up, grabbed my surfboard and just surfed all day. And I did that for like a week and got super sick, like high fever, just like, just dead. And then I spent like a week in bed and everything. And I remember that week. It was one of the happiest weeks of my life, you know, just coming back and to what I love. I mean, I feel like this surf community is, is very, very friendly, you know, like the people here are so humble You know, I mean, basically they live off of fish and and some cabinas, you know, there's no hotels here or anything. There's what, like five restaurants, local restaurants, you know, so they're so humbling here so that everybody, every tourist that comes, they welcome them, you know, like, they're like, hey, catch a wave, come with me, we'll show you around. Like, I have never seen a local get angry at anyone for being at the point, or you know, except obviously if they're like, you know, if they burn you or if they're like just hassling you, then they'll put them in line. But they'll never, they'll never be like angry at you for anything. They'll be like, actually, the officer. They'll welcome you yeah. here. You know, it's like mean, like the whole Puerto Rican thing, like similar to like of, uh, why people. Yeah, a lot of people but they Uh, Yeah, it's like endless, it's endless, you know, and like, I remember like once, once I started like, you know, getting, you know, more into surfing and sponsors and everything. So every time I came back from a trip, I remember I would always, I mean, I still do it. I still like, if I had some t-shirts leftovers or some board shorts or a board or whatever I had that I really didn't need, I would make sure I would always give it to them and Till that that was like seven or eight years ago, or even I don't know ten years ago. When I was fifteen, I would always bring stuff too, you know.
1: Right.
0: And to the day of today, they still tell me like they still have the shirt. Like Leon, remember when you gave me this shirt? I didn't get goosebumps. So like you still have, guys. Like yeah, I take care of it. I take care of it every day, you know. And it's just like, man, it's it's so beautiful. So every year I come back from my ten months tour, I just try to stack them up, you know, as much as I can. Like, leftover cords boards or whatever I have, fins, leashes, pads, when see everyone's on board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's back home. And not a single board was sold, you know? It's yeah. just all, if I, if I can give it to you, I'll give it to you, you know? I always tell yeah, me when you come in here, stinker sure. Yeah, yeah. Here they build a yeah. car. Yeah. They, like, I'm so psyched. I yeah, know. know. And, and you know, it's beautiful here, like also the upcoming generation or the kids, you know, they see like Noe, me and Leilani surfing and with sponsors and everything. And they get so motivated. Like we're literally like their heroes. You know what I mean? And like when we come, they're like always applauding, like Leon, Leon, you see like Leon or Leilani or Noe, what's up? And you know, it motivates them to surf. I mean, they have such a nice life. They have a soccer field a huge soccer field two meters away from one of the best waves in the world, you know, so. So they go through phases, like they surf for like a month and then they're kind of over it and then they go play soccer for a month. So they're back and forth and there's only a couple kids that do it both, you know, but, but. you that way too many. Yeah, oh, hundred percent. When I was younger, I would always come and play soccer, but I would do the same. Like I would just surf my brains out and then I was like, oh, you know, what? I'm gonna take, take a little break and go play soccer. So, so definitely soccer was a big part of my life here in, in Pavones, 100%. For a regular, for an everyday surfer
3: though, I think that there's a misconception that it's just one wave. And Pavones really is like three or four different waves that occasionally connect all the way through. Mm-hmm. And then there's a couple other left points that we don't really talk about. <laughs> Uh, nearby that are of similar quality all of which are conducive for a really beginner level of surfer if it's under three to four feet which it is the majority of the time and so the crowd there that you see is not an aggressive sort of high talent crowd it's a fairly passive international crowd quite a few locals giving surf lessons And people just sort of picking off waves at the end of the point. And for the most part, when you look out, you realize that most of the people are catching the best waves of their lives. Certainly the longest waves of their (laughs) lives. Um, And it makes for a very cool little scene that's entirely built around the wave. The whole town is maybe a square mile around the point. um, As far as what most people consider like Pavones, there's, the river mouth, the various you know parts of the wave. There's the wall, which is where the cantina used to be, where everyone sits and hangs out, and there's a beautiful little natural park right on the end of the point that backs up to the soccer field. And then up against the soccer field, you have these little walking streets with a handful of cabinas to stay in, four or five restaurants, and the road in and out of town. And that's it. It's uh you know there's there's been a few sort of condominium developments here and there, some little like blips of modern development, but for the most part it's still incredibly roots and quaint and refreshingly small. And you attribute that really to
2: you think because of the the issues uh surrounding the the ownership of a lot of that land? I'm kind of surprised it hasn't People haven't, like, just developed a little further back or a little out, you know, to kind of take advantage of it, at least.
3: It's the jungle, man. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the land that people want is the land on the coast. Uh, it's it's such a remarkable stretch of coastline. And the jungle, as you get past there, is still so pristine. I mean, there's there's indigenous tribes that live in the mountains just north of there that originally lived in the town of Pavones Wow, um, and moved up into the mountains as things developed that you can like take horseback rides up and visit and, you know, you can see the textiles that they make and all the simple little sort of like folk, uh, like cottage industries that they have up there. Um, it's very, very,
2: uh, stuck in time. Do you think it's a great place destination to go is like, it's it's a core surf trip right like it's not something you would want to bring your non-surfing partner or uh you know anyone that doesn't
3: surf to yes and no i think i actually think that costa rica might be the easiest surf trip to take a partner because yes you can be you but can Pavonis, go surf
2: the pavonas do you think
3: yeah i mean it depends on if they're you know, how delicate of a flower they are. Uh, There's, you know, there's a huge culture in Pavones of just yoga retreats and health and wellness um, because of its remote nature, you know, because of the fact that you're in the jungle in five minutes. It's, It's a very tranquil, peaceful area to be. And the biodiversity in Costa Rica, I'm pretty sure is second only to maybe the Amazon, but it's one of the most biodiverse countries on the planet. The rainforest there along with the rainforest in Brazil are considered the lungs of the world. And you walk outside and there's like monkeys in the trees and toucans. And as you get up into the mountains, that wildlife becomes even more and more sort of spectacular. And there's all types of uh, ecotourism built around that that anyone can go and engage with. You know, I think a lot of people go to Costa Rica just to take a zip line tour through the jungle um, or to go and like feed alligators or crocodiles. I always forget which ones are down there. Crocodiles. (laughs) Um, And it's where most of our fruit comes from. You know, Costa Rica has been one of the largest exporters of fruit for fucking 50 years. I think this The last 10 years, oddly enough, they've developed like an incredible aerospace and technological industry. Interesting. Like they they manufacture all types of like really like high tech computer parts and medical devices and biotech machines and stuff like that. Um, And I don't know necessarily why that is. I know that it's, that the country itself has like a very high, um, as far, it's rated very high as far as education goes. Yeah, Um, And so it's a very like, civilized, educated culture um, pretty much anywhere you go. So um, let's
2: talk equipment here. What sort of gear should people be prepared to bring down or if they even need to bring down gear? It seems like a place that might have stuff already
3: there for you. You definitely want to bring boards to Pavones. There's maybe one or two little shops so you can rent some soft tops and some boards that people have left over. There's not really any real like like broad selection in a surf shop. There's one little shop in town that, that might have some boards and some wax and some gear. And then it's all just more like accessories that you might break or need while you're there. It's, it's not like a full uh, outfitter situation. Um, But as far as the waves go, I mean, and boards, you're looking at a wave that I don't care if it's 10 foot or, Four foot, you can ride the same equipment. You can ride a mid length, you could ride a shortboard, you could ride a fish. Um, ride something that you feel comfortable going as fast as you can in a straight line. Because unless you are an incredibly gifted surfer, as far as like rail work and drive and connection and sort of seamlessness through maneuvers, you're pretty much just racing the wave going as fast as you can, which is a great feeling. Um, for most of the wave, it's just a full racetrack. Um, the end of the point at Pavones uh, is I think one of the best longboard waves in the world. It's like a, it's like first point Malibu, um, but a left. And you see a lot of really, really, you'll see world-class longboarders out there. Most times that there's waves, you'll see Cassie Meador um, Justin Quintal, or, you know, it's like a, a bit of a magnet for really talented longboarders to go and film and, get like a really perfect, consistent, peeling left point that's, you know, a third or a fifth as crowded as, say, Malibu or um, Cardiff or something like that.
2: And who are other, some of the characters you got to meet while
3: on this trip that you were spending time with down there? So we, we went down there to see Leon Glotzer's whole program and got to meet his brother and his mom, who are sort of like classic... Uh, European Costa Ricans, if that makes <laughs> sense. They're the whitest, most blue-eyed, blonde-haired crew. I mean, Sean uh, and Leon, their mom, too. And you see them with all of the Ticos, and they are as much a part of that town and a part of that community as any of the locals whose families were born and raised there. They're like adopted uh, sons of Pavones. And I think that everyone you meet in Costa Rica, similar to Fiji, they have this, this friendliness and this warmth, uh, that is just sort of openly offered to people that visit. And that's why I think people feel so comfortable going to Costa Rica is that whole, you know, Pura Vida thing. Uh, you know, whatever Hawaii has Aloha. Uh, it is a, different breed of uh hospitality down there in my opinion oh my gosh i mean i
2: i remember my first trip going to costa rica i was about 14 or 15 my dad took my brother and i and uh we went up towards north more but uh i just remember tasting the pacific and being like oh this water is saltier <laughs> than the east coast and Then they all, like, told all the old guys, like, oh, you got to go to Key Largo in San Jose, you know, (laughs) when we were kids. And, you know, my dad took my brother and I out on a big night on the town. And, um, yeah, we won't talk, go into too much detail, but uh, quite scandalous night, but very fun. Uh, But I feel like Costa Rica is a great place for that kind of, like, like kind of just, like, having a really fun, adventurous trip without having to, you know worry too much it's 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 just it's a perfect staging point for people who want to start traveling or leaving, going going out of the country for the most
3: part yeah it's a low consequence adventure i think most people that have done a surf trip to costa rica would agree that you probably have to worry about the expats more than you have to worry about the locals (laughs) as far as bad behavior goes um and yeah, I think that it's it's just a real international scene. Uh, even the you know the the expat scene adds to it. The way that they opt, that they sort of integrate with the locals and create a sort of unique international surf scene in all of the main surf towns in Costa Rica is to me very different than a lot of other places. And Pavones does have some of that. While it is not nearly developed, it does feel like a tiny cross-section of that international feeling that you get when you go to most surf towns in Costa Rica there's the little smoothie and juice shop that's owned by the Israelis that have been there for you know 25 years who I swear have not aged one day like they look <laughs> the same uh and I did find that the coast that the, that's part of it Costa Rica has the the most uh hundred plus year old people on the planet and What? That, the population lives longer than anywhere else on the planet in Costa Rica. Really? I was like, that's why all my dad's friends are living there, because they think they can live forever.
2: <laughs> you know, one of the surfers you got to speak to was uh, Eva Woodland, who's uh she's a up-and-coming surfer whose mother is Costa Rican, uh, her father is from Florida, and so she had to grow up kind of straddling both lines, going back and forth between Costa Rica and Florida, and like, Her perspective on Pavonas and Kosrik is really fascinating, and I love the interview you did with her. Uh, You know, so just lead right into that.
1: I'm Ava Luna Woodland. I'm 20 years old, and I'm from Melbourne, Florida. Also from Curialba, my mom was born and raised in Curialba and ever since I was basically in the womb, my mom, I would spend like half the year down here splitting my time between Curialba where all my family is and Manuel Antonio where my aunt and uncle used to have a beach house and that's where I fell in love with surfing in Costa Rica. So your mom's for free? Yeah. Like born and raised. Born and raised. like Yeah. My dad's from Winter Haven. And so how'd they meet? This is the cutest story ever, and I love telling it. (laughs) So, my mom used to be a waitress at this restaurant in Cocoa Beach called Roberto's. And my dad was, like, kind of a regular there, but he would never sit in her section or anything. And at the time, my mom, like, only had a bike. She would just, like, bike everywhere. And she saved up money for a car, and this car was sitting outside the restaurant one day, and my mom was like, oh, I'm going to call it. Like, see, because I guess it was pretty cheap. The guy who was selling the car was my dad and it was a stick shift, and my mom was like, oh my God, I don't know how to drive stick shift. My dad was like, I'll teach you, girl, I got you. And they like spent the whole day together, and my mom at the end of the day was like, I'm not gonna buy this car. And my dad was like, okay, well, I'm gonna take you out on a date though. And my mom was like, okay. And the rest is history. Uh, So when did you first come down for Stika? I can't even remember, honestly. Like baby. I think I, I was a baby. Yeah. Yeah. I think growing up was definitely hard just in terms of like, you know, like kids being mean, like I grew up like being called a Mexican and like a beaner and all this stuff and like nobody like like my close friends and everything, sure, like they understood, like, Oh my gosh, that's cool. But like a lot of kids in school were like, Oh you fucking bean Can I curse on this? Oh cool. Oh, you fucking beaner like they would call me a Mexican and stuff and like that was hard growing up. And, like, I kind of, like, resented it for a little bit. And I was like, oh, my God, like, why can't I be normal? But, like, I think coming here and, like, being raised, being able to, like, be raised into different cultures, like, gave me more of an understanding of, like, okay, these people don't get it. Like, they haven't been down to Costa Rica. They don't know my family. They don't know my traditions. Like, fuck them. Like, they're, they don't know how cool this place is.
0: And they don't know any.
1: I mean, the country's motto is Pura Vida, like, I feel like everywhere you go here, everyone is so welcoming and they love to, like, show people how amazing this country is and, like, be able to, like, share a lineup with people from all walks of life. Like, this morning, I think I heard, like, four different languages and there was, like, 12 people out. It's one of the most unique places in the world, not just in Costa Rica. Like you have the second longest left in the world and then a town with like so, so many people that have been here for so long. Like Havones is a plate. It's like a melting pot, if you will. Like people like there's an Israeli restaurant here and they've been here since forever. There's people who have been here since probably Costa Rica was Costa Rica like I think this place is such a rare gem and I think it's so amazing that like every business here and is local too like they Pavones is a place that's kept to their roots for a very very long time which I think is different from everywhere in Costa Rica as well yeah me Brisa and Leilani um, I look up to them so much like I think it's so great that we have like such amazing women that like little costa Rican girls can look up to and any girl can look up to too like risa she just won sunset like she's healing it on tour and leilani is about to like go off into the challenger series like i think it's so amazing to show that like and they're across the but they grew up across the bay from each other too i think it So amazing to have like, and we're so tight knit. Like, it's so nice to do the ISAs with them and like, be able to see them around the world. When did
0: you meet Leilani and Linda Donna?
1: Um, I met Leilani when I was like twelve, at like the Ron John Roxy QS in Cocoa Beach, and I was like, oh my gosh, a Costa Rican girl that surfs like that's so cool because I just started surfing a couple years ago, so I didn't really compete or anything, but I was like, oh my gosh. And I met her and she was like, yeah. And I met her and she was like the sweetest person ever. And now I'm like so lucky I can call her one of my best friends. Sean and Jamie are like the OG couple here. (laughs) They own the Riviera Hotel and they've been here for I think like 30 plus years. They drove down here from California and they set their roots here. And Jamie and Sean absolutely ripped too. like. It's so great. Like the first day I was here, I don't controlled with Jamie and it's so, it's so great to like go to a lineup with someone and everyone's so friendly and everyone says hi to Jamie and like everyone treats them with the utmost respect and I think it's so cool. Well, Pura Vida in a literal sense means pure light, but I think every time you walk down the street or whenever you talk to someone, they always say like Pura Vida and it's just like, it's just like good vibe, you know? Like when you tell someone like, oh my God, Pura Vida, it's just, I don't even know how to describe it because I think to so many people that live here, it's kind of just like second nature. Like it's just wishing, I say it as wishing good upon someone and like just good energy. I just think that Costa Ricans are like the best people in the world. Like, so everyone is always so welcoming and they'll always like, If you need help, like, they'll, like, go out of their way to help you, like. I think that Costa Rica is such a rich place, and it's, there's so much to do, like. You want to share it, and you want to, you want to be able to show people, like, this is, this is, like, how life is here.
0: And there's nothing with on.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: If you weren't surfing, what would you recommend people? Doing trigger as far as like going out like CNN.
1: Oh my gosh, There's so much to do. You could go you could go bird watching, you could go sailing, you could go fishing, you could go hiking. There's um, the Volcan Irasu, there's the Volcan Turialba in my mom's hometown. Um, the Rio Pacuare has some of the best whitewater rafting in the world. Like there is you could hike to countless different waterfalls, like there's, you go on a yoga retreat, like there's an infinite, you go di- like scuba diving. There's just like an infinite amount of things you can do. And it's all things that like I feel enrich you and you get to, and such like unique experiences too. Like I don't, I can't recall off the top of my head, any other place in the world where you can hike to a volcano and look at it. Like, you could go to the hot springs and do the, um, the mud baths, and I, there's just so many, like, amazing. Costa Rica is just one of the most amazing, like, landscapes in general. Like, it's so beautiful. Well, I think the air you breathe here is different. It feels, the air you breathe here is fresh. That's a way I used to like describe how it is. Costa Rica is actually a blue country too, which means it's restored at least 70% of its um, natural rainforest and Costa Rica um, does a lot. They're very, very passionate about like saving the rainforest and preserving every kind of animal and all the flora and fauna that's from here. And I think that also sets Costa Rica apart from anywhere else. Like I'm definitely gonna live here Forever, at some point in my life. My favorite restaurant is probably Cafe de la Suerte. My friend Naomi's parents own it. And it was like the first place I ever ate here. And it's really, I love Israeli food and they make really good smoothies. So it's everything that I could want in a restaurant.
0: Fresh it's like with fresh tips.
1: Yeah, I'm sure if you're regular footed, like it's cool or whatever, but it's a lot better if you're goofy. <laughs> um,
0: is there a faster wave in Costa Rica than this wave?
1: I don't think so. I feel like this is one of the pretty fast waves. No, I don't think so. I feel like this wave is, like, four different waves in one, too. Like, you have the point, and then you have the river mouth, and then you, like, get to the corner, and then the wall, and it's, like, it could go from, like, a slopey face to then, like, barreling, and then it's, like, really, really fast. Then you get kind of this, like, forgiving section on the inside where you can, like, cruise more, and it's just, like... So many just perf like so much perfection just packed into one spot. Like different
0: beast statements.
1: Yeah. yeah. It's everything you could ask for.
2: Um now any behind the scenes, anything that happened while filming this that that you know kind of either was unexpected or something that you were not really aware of when you when you set
3: out to make this um unexpected yeah seeing i've known pavones since as long as i've known any surf scene besides my own i've known leon for probably six or seven years now but i never spent time with him in costa rica i've always wondered what it would feel like to be uh foreigner raised in a surf town and whether that felt like you were an other sort of figure if you were this sort of like outcast or felt like you were not really like a part of it and leon and his brother are the most costa rican kids i could ever imagine after seeing them in their scene and seeing how much of a center point they are in the pavone surf community and how much pride all the costa ricans take in Leon being a Costa Rican Olympian, you know, that, that, that this kid came from this tiny little town in the middle of the Southern jungles of Costa Rica to go and surf in the Olympics for the German Olympic team. I think they take that very seriously as they should. It's a huge accomplishment for their town. You know, this little kid that grew up kicking a soccer ball around in front of the point. Um, yeah.
2: Now, let's get into uh, local economics. Yep.
3: Costs. Cheap.
2: Affordable.
3: Super affordable. Uh, You can find cabinas for, you know, between, I'd say, 30 and 40 or 50 bucks a night at the cheapest. And you could stay at the nicest place in town that the McGonagall's, it's called the Riviera, which is owned by Sean McGonagall, who is no more, let me say their names right. The nicest place to stay in town is the Riviera, which is owned by the McGonagall family, uh, by Noemar and Leilani's parents, Sean. And I can never remember the mother's name, but she, you'll see them all, the whole family out surfing. Um, and they're from Orange County originally, but purchased the land back in the 80s. It's very, you know. he, You
2: know, Sean McGonigal is uh, has like a whole little segment in Amazing Surf Stories. Really? Uh, yeah, it's funny. Like uh, I, I recognize that name very much. So yeah, uh, he rips, man. Rips. Holy moly, he rips.
3: Uh, and st- you know, similar to Roseman, like a guy who's got more time on a surfboard than maybe anybody on the planet. Like that guy spends five or six minutes standing on a wave surfing every morning. You know, like <laughs> he'll surf for forty-five minutes and get five waves. And if you were to put a tracker on it. I bet you that he would travel two or three miles in a period of maybe an hour and 15 minutes just surfing from the top of the point to the bottom. That's incredible. Uh, and it, it, it is like, it is a beautiful thing to see that family as a surfing family, having built the life that they have in that town um, is, uh, is pretty cool to watch. And just seeing the way that all, that whole community, how close they are because of how small they are and how isolated they are and how everyone still seems to get along and really enjoy each other's company and love seeing each other at the end of the day when the waves are good at the point and sitting on the seawall.
2: It seems like everyone holds the McGonagall's in such a uh, high esteem. Uh, it's really interesting. Like Leon Glatzer really, uh, gushes over them most, uh, you know, they've had a real impact on the community there and. Yeah, here's Leon just kind of breaking down
0: the McGonagall's
2: and and who they are to that community.
0: Yeah, I mean, the McGonagall's are a pretty amazing family and I would say pretty complete, for sure, 100%, you know. Um, Sean came here at a very young age and he he had some property in Punta Banco, which is like the next town from here and then met Jamie, and basically I'm pretty sure that their dream was to have two professional surfers, two kids, you know? So that's when, that's when Noé came, and when Noé was born, like, he was born on a surfboard basically, like straight away, you know, like straight away. I remember uh, Sean taking him to surf every day, watch surf movies, talk about surf things, like, You'd go into his room and he was like a little baby and it was all decorated surf stuff, like 100%. And yeah, and then, I mean, Noah, man, he's such a good surfer and he grew so fast and so professional at such an early age. And I would say that's what kind of drove me also to the, you know, like I would kind of be latched on his success and his energy, like, man, I want to be like this guy, you know? I want to have the sponsors. I want to do the contest, too. And I think without him, there wouldn't be anyone here that would motivate me to, to become a professional, you know, because he was the only kid. There was nobody else. It was the locals. The locals are just surfing, you know. They're having the time of their life and eating fish. They're fine with that. Some ceviche, I go back out. But no, I had dreams. No, I had dreams to go on the CT. No, I had dreams to become national champ. And that's where I was like, oh, cool! I'm, I'm gonna do that too, you know. You, you mentioned that. But... Exact because I didn't know about him. I really didn't know much about him. And that's, I think, where I started getting really good, and we both started pushing each other, and then we started training really hard. You know, we'd, we had a little gym that we built ourselves, and then it just went on and on and on and on. Uh, and yeah. About it. And then yeah, and then Lilani came into the scene like. I remember she was a little baby coming into the surf, you know. Same, but the same thing that Noah and I did, surfing Barbie bowls with all the locals, with the parents, same thing with Lalani. Like if every one of us had that same process. The village taught us how to surf, you know. But obviously Lalani was a little one and Noah and I, we always make sure we took care of her, would take her out on the big waves. Like when it was big, we would like, come on Lalani, let's go. And she started charging from a really young age. And I think, you know, she seeing Noe and myself motivated her even more, you know. And that's where I think that's why is where she is now at the moment. She's, you know, she's so dedicated to the sport, to serving, to studies, to everything. So, so yeah, the McGonagalls are an amazing family. You know, it's, I learned a lot from them and, and they gave me so much in my life, too. You know, I always... You know, they fed me too. I was always at their house watching surf movies, eating rice and beans and going surfing.
2: <laughs> to kinda of close out this, where where can where can people get information to go there?
3: What are what are some good resources? Um Pavonis is a tricky one to forecast and I'm as much as I love that this series is like a guide to the areas and a bit of the like story, I tend to try and shy away from like telling people exactly how to score waves there. Pavones and Costa Rica are good most of the year. Pavones has a narrower window than the rest of Costa Rica because it needs a very specific swell direction for the points to get all time. I think that people underestimate how consistent the waves are really fun in Pavones. Maybe not perfect, but fun. And if you have fairly middle-of-the-road expectations or reasonable expectations about a surf trip and the right equipment you can almost guarantee going down there and getting really fun surf. Um, As far as like resources and stuff go, Pavonis is still the wild West. You're kind of on your own. Um, I would feel confident in the fact that when you roll into town, it's so small and centralized that you won't have a hard time finding someone who can point you in the right direction? And wherever that direction is, is maybe 150 yards of walking, to <laughs> whatever you need. So, food, lodging, a place to stay, the wave—it's all within a stone's throw of each other. So once you get there, you're you'll be fairly hard pressed to have a hard time. And for this episode, did you score any good waves? We scored. Yeah, this was the this was probably the most surfing that I did on any of the trips because you know with a lot of these trips we're having to travel hundreds of miles to go and be in one place to meet up with one person to tell their story and then to drive to another area to you know and and it becomes a much broader effort and bigger project with with this episode we wanted to focus it on the like this little case study of just Pavones and that meant that we weren't driving around chasing things so we had more time to surf and to really like enjoy just that area um so yeah i surfed a lot i was i will say that it does get exhausting going left after a while (laughs) on your backhand oh just like two weeks of going left at like the fastest backhand wave like there's there's no like relaxing days at pavones if you're like trying to rip you're working for it on your backhand what were you riding I brought a 6'4 Simon Jones Channel Twin, like a smaller version of my Good Wave board. I brought a CJ Nelson longboard. Uh, there's tons of cobblestones and rocks on the beach, and I hate wearing leashes, so I brought this. Uh, it's technically an epoxy, but it's an epoxy-molded-shaped board with 12-ounce Volan cloth wrapped around it, so it weighs like 36 pounds. Uh, and it's my favorite longboard and you didn't break and and so no leash there. No leash. It's fine You can just it it breaks rocks (laughs) Uh, it's the thunderbolt tech Uh, which i've had that board for like six years and I ended up leaving it down there with my dad's friend Who's lived down there since the 70s so that I always have a longboard there because the one thing that you do need to realize going down there is You have a choice you can fly from San Jose to Golfito, but you're limited to boards under seven feet mm-hmm. on the plane, uh, which can be a bit of a problem if you're not a really, really competent get-up-and-go surfer. You need to be able to get up, create speed, and get moving to beat sections on a smaller board. And most people that you saw that were average surfers that were able to really like take advantage of the wave were riding seven foot plus mid lengths or longboards. And if you are bringing a longboard down, you're looking at renting a car in San Jose and then anywhere between like a six and an eight hour drive from the airport, which is a beautiful drive through Costa Rica. Like we should all be so lucky. (laughs) Love it. Well,
2: uh, awesome episode. And for our listeners, you can find it on Red Bull TV. Uh, No contest off tour. We'll see you in the next uh, episode.
1: I think one of the only Latin traits that I didn't get was like a tolerance to mosquitoes. I have probably like hundreds of scars on my legs just from mosquito bites I relentlessly itched as a child. Like, I could stand outside without bug spray here. For like 15 minutes, and I'll have 20 bug bites on my legs. Like last night, I got out of the shower, and by the time it took me to walk from the shower to my room, I had six bug bites on my body, and I don't even know where they come from. They just. Do you feel like you see more critters here than most other places? Yeah, you know,
0: spiders. And
1: Definitely. Yeah. Like the fur. The. The night that I got here, I walked into the bathroom and I almost stepped on a frog. It was just right there. And then probably the worst that I've had is at my aunt and uncle's finca in Turialba. A finca's like a ranch. Um, It's like pretty common to check for scorpions whenever you stay and there was a scorpion under my pillow and it was just hissing at me and I didn't know what to do. So I was like, I'm not sleeping in here. So I went to another room, did my scorpion check. What do I see? Two scorpions just hanging out in my toilet. Like, (laughs) they're everywhere.